Welcome to the Care Exchange, the Skills Fair podcast for managers in social care. I'm PRF De Burton. And I'm Ali Rusbridge. So we are really aware of this stress and really challenging times that managers in social care have been going through since we did the start of the pandemic, mm. but also going through right now at the moment. Um, and we wanted to talk to somebody on the podcast who really understood this stress and, and could share some knowledge um, with managers about how to go through those difficulties and how, how to overcome them and really sort of provide some practical tips. Yeah. So today we're talking to Martin Dawes and Martin's written a book called The Overwhelmed Manager, A Health and Social Care Guide to Peaceful Living. Martin started his career in the prison service and worked there for 20 years with 12 years as a governor. But for the last nine years, he's worked as a registered manager and also regional support turnaround manager in a range of care settings. And Martin's also a coach and now an author. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Martin today and I really hope that he's able to provide us some really great tips and um, things to, to think about when dealing with stressful situations. So stay tuned and enjoy the show. So thank you very much, Martin. Welcome to the CAGS, James. Thank you. Thank you for, for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're really excited to, uh, to talk to you. So um, I think we, first of all, in the introduction, we heard that you previously worked in prison services. Um, what sort of things did you learn from the prison services when you in, that you use in your role as a medicine manager? Well, it's, it's it's all it's all to do with people. It's a peopleness, you know. When yeah. when you're working in the prison service, you're dealing with people, um, and that's something that I sort of carried forward into into care. Um, and I think it served me quite well. I mean, certainly dealing with really stressful situations, really anxious people. Um, so I learned quite a lot in that environment. You know that we are. A, that we're dealing with individuals, that we're dealing with people. And these people have their own history. They have their own stories about who they think they are. They have their own emotions. Um, so it was really that, that, that sort of, those sort of skills that you can pick up, you can, you can carry forward into, into the care industry, you know, having, you know, learning how to deal with basically what, what is ever, whatever's thrown at you. And certainly in the prison service, you could be, you can have anything thrown at you at any any moment. Yeah. You know, I dealt with lots of things that I wouldn't talk about on here because it was it was horrendous. But yeah. you know, dealing with those sorts of situations it sort of sets you up to be able to deal with most things without having to uh, crumble, without having to get overly anxious or overstressy about it. Mm. Yeah. And in terms of sort of leadership skills, were there things that you learn in the prison service, sort of kind of leadership skills that you sort of use now as, as your role as minister manager yeah um obviously leadership skills in the prison service are very different you know and i think in the book i i mention uh, one of the things called you know that i say which was ask them tell them make them mm-hmm. now obviously in the prison service if you're making someone do something it's a very different has very different connotations to asking a care worker to you know or making a care worker do something but I suppose it's the, there has to be a consequence at the end of somebody doing something or somebody not doing something. Yeah. So you know when you're dealing, you know when when, when you're leading individuals and they're being intransigent or not doing what you want them to do, then there has to be a consequence to that. Once people understand that there are consequences to 
them not carrying out some legitimate wishes that you that you want to have that you want to that you want to carry out um and you don't get too wound up yourself into into become part of that story then you become part of that problem if you can see it from an outside observer it makes life so much easier Mm. and i think that's one of the things that i learned probably from the prison service is not to become part of the problem you know not to become part of that story or yourself you are someone who's watching things unfold and you deal with the facts in front of you not the not the people and the emotion you just deal with the facts and again i'll touch on that in, yeah. in the book so are you saying sort of not get involved um almost not taking it personally i suppose is what you're saying Absolutely. so you know so if there's a problem and people are reacting to it and they you know if you're trying to introduce a tra- change and we know that can be always be very challenging at times you know and so if you're introducing that change what you're saying is don't get involved with the with the emotional side of that you know you're trying to do your job and you're trying to do the best best and it doesn't mean that you're not listening to people it just means that you're trying to do your best and not get involved with the with the ins and outs of of, of how people are feeling about it yeah i mean, I mean we, we can take a very uh, easy example and let's say you know you're working for me Pierre, and every day you're coming in and you're five minutes late you know so i have to address that with you and you can be quite intransigent as what you know and saying you know, and be quite throw up your own sort of dust cloud and try and de- detract from what what you're doing but the fact is that you're late now i'm going to deal with the fact that you're late i'm not going to deal with you as a person because that's irrelevant the fact is, is that you are late so if i stick to the fact you are late you're five minutes late every day i'm not saying you're a horrible person you know i'm not saying that there's anything wrong with you as an individual i'm just saying that you're late and we we have a service to run we have service users to uh to look after and you you're being late every day has a knock-on effect and that's the issue that i'm going to address not you as a person yeah that makes sense so you've mentioned your book already so you have written this book called the overwhelm manager a health and social care guide to a peaceful life peaceful living um so for managers listening to this podcast and is feeling overwhelmed what are the things that person could do today i think one of the big things is to understand that just because you have a thought in your head doesn't make it true and just because you have a thought in your head doesn't mean you have to act on it so it's not our thoughts that get us into trouble it's what we do with them so we'll get a thought and we'll work it and work it and we'll we will um We'll work it up in our head and make it bigger and bigger and make it more colourful and bring in much more emotive language to it and then make it bigger and bigger and then perhaps even end up at the, the other end of long the way down that line of having a panic attack or going into full overthinking meltdown mode. Have you got so, an example of, of, of where you've come across that? Oh, every day, even myself. I know this stuff and I, I still fall into the trap. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the, you know, on, if you look at my book, on the very front page, the front cover, it says the first, the first step to escaping the trap is to realize that you're in one. And being in one is the fact that we, we give our thoughts too much credence. Thoughts is just stuff that goes through your head. Mm. It's what we do with it that makes, makes the difference. 
So, so the manager is really struggling and they, they are, you know, their head is whirling with all these sort of thoughts of they're a failure, they can't cope with the job, maybe they're worried about the inspection or whatever. What, what can they practically do to stop those thoughts? Well, the first thing is to understand that the thoughts aren't them. Right. It's just, it's just stuff going through their head. That's all, you know. And where we, where we, where we fall into the trap is we think, well, these thoughts are in my head, therefore it must be me. Therefore, these thoughts are mine and they're part of me. And that's, that's nonsense. No one knows where thought comes from. You know, the, the, the idea that thought is generated outside of the brain is as ridiculous as the idea that thought is generated inside the brain. Nobody knows. So thoughts are just stuff. It's like watching, watching the TV and you get the, um, the ticker tape on, on the news come, you know, going across the bottom with all the key headlines. We choose which ones we're going to interact with. Mm. So what, what would a manager do to stop that? You know, what, what, what are your sort of kind of top tips of things to do just to sort of stop being, stop letting those thoughts? Well, um, the, the good news is there is no 10-step programme. There is no five great tips to healthy living. It's just understanding what's going on. Mm, it's wow. just understanding that thoughts are going to come and go. Yeah. And we can do with that what, what we want. Now, the body has a natural ability to heal itself. You know, you cut yourself and you know it starts to scab over. And, but it's, it's the same with mental health as well. The body has a natural ability, an innate ability to deal with its to deal with its mental health, if we get out of the way. And what we tend to do is not get out of the way. And I call it putting our fingers in the, in the machinery. And we know what happens if we put our fingers in, in the machinery. So, but if we leave our thoughts alone, they'll eventually they'll eventually pass, and some we'll get some fresh new thought come along at any moment it's like when you have a muddy puddle you know the the best way of clearing a muddy puddle is just to let it settle down mm. but what we tend to do is get a stick and stir it and stir it and stir it and say i can't see i can't see but the innate quality of the puddle is the clarity of the water the water is clear we just got to let it settle down yeah, and in your book you talk about the snow globe uh, effect, which I really, uh, I, re I really like. I really like the the You know, I, c I can see that because I think we all do that. We have, you know, particularly if we something that we're worried about or there's something happening in our life that's a bit stressful. You know, it's all kind of going around. Or if you're trying to make a decision, yeah. you have all these things going on. But actually, if you just, you know, you always say sleep on a problem. Mm. Or um, you know, I know I know when I was I was a manager. If I had to, if I, I was getting really cross about something, and you're emailing away and you're typing really really hard, and then actually, what what the best thing to do is just to leave that email, have a look at it a few hours later, or even the next day, yeah. amend it how you're feeling, and then send it because it doesn't mean that the message what you're trying to uh, to to say what you're what you're finding challenging doesn't mean that that goes away. It's about having that settled and I thought that snow globe mm. analogy was a really good way of kind of thinking about it and just saying yeah. am I am I in a snow globe yes I am oh let me just uh, yeah. you know find some way of, of settling things yeah absolutely and you know what I I say to people quite regularly that you know the time to make a decision especially a life-changing decision is not when you're in a heightened emotional state yeah 
Yeah. So, 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 so how does that relate then? Let's think about the stress that a lot of managers are feeling at the moment. I mean, we've heard so many managers feeling, you know, saying that they're feeling incredibly stressed. What, what advice or what things? I know you're saying you haven't got a ten-step program or, or five steps or whatever, but are there some sort of practical advice that you could give to managers who are feeling stressed right now? Because that is a very yeah. real feeling, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on my if you go onto my my website, there is some videos there, and one of the videos gives um, a quick relaxation technique. It's it's like literally a minute. Mm. And it can bring you down quite quickly. It's really effective as, as, as well. But other than that, um, we need to stop overthinking. That's what we need to do. And then but our natural thought then is, well, how can we stop overthinking? Mm. Well, you, even by saying that, you're already overthinking. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're, just, you're just making it worse and worse and worse. You know, so we, what we think what we think is, you know, I've got to stop feeling, I've got to stop feeling like this. Mm. But why do you have to stop feeling like that? You know, if you're feeling frustrated, you're feeling frustrated. There's nothing to do other than just acknowledge you're feeling frustrated at the moment. And that's fine because that will pass. Now, if you keep your fingers out of the machinery, if you put the snow globe down, if you stop stirring the puddle, you won't feel frustrated for long. So, so are you suggesting that techniques like relaxation or taking yourself out into nature just refocuses and stops you thinking and overthinking and perhaps gives you a different perspective? Is that is that what you'd recommend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, going going for a short walk, um, you know, make sure you're taking your your lunch break because we all know that we don't do mm-hmm. that, you know. And I'm I'm as I'm as big a, a culprit for that as as anybody. But we need time to reset as well sometimes and just because we know that what i know when i'm coaching someone what i know is that you have the answers i don't have your answers for you you have your answers so what i need to do is get you to a to a state where those answers come to you now that's what happens when you're in the shower when you're walking in nature when you're driving and it's that time when you stop overthinking when you stop overthinking, the answers will come to you. Mm. They're already there. Yeah. It's just that they're blocked out with all of this stuff that we get, we work up in our heads. And that's part, and it's all part of the system. It's all part of keeping our fingers out, out of the machinery because we have the answers there. And it sounds really simple, but it is really simple. That's mm. why you get the best ideas in the shower, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you're, if you're driving along in, in the rain, you put the windscreen wipers on. Now, you can either choose to watch the windscreen wipers or you can choose to watch the road. Now, I would suggest that we watch the road because when we watch the windscreen wipers, we're going to crash. Yeah. And that's what happens when we overthink. We're watching those windscreen wipers going faster and faster and faster and faster and then wonder why we end up in a ditch. Mm. If we watch, that's a nice analogy. <laughs> yeah. And if we watch, if we watch the road, you know, it will just keep us on the right path and we, we'll work our way through it. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with feeling frustrated. There's nothing wrong with feeling angry. It's just how we're feeling in that moment. That's all. That's great advice. Thank you very much. So the book also um, has a, you know, a large section where it gives some real practical advice uh, yeah. on how to manage situations, how to manage your sort of kind of staff group from your experience. And I thought there, was, there were so many good, good bits of advice. I've just sort of picked out a few, I'm going to ask you a few questions about it. So, 
you talk a lot about working with a staff group and how to manage staff who challenge you as a manager. And you already mentioned a little bit about how you've taken some of the ideas from the prison service uh, to you. But give us a few uh, kind of ideas around how to manage staff who challenge you as a, as a manager. Okay. Well, they can only challenge you or they can only challenge me if there's a me to be challenged. Now, that sounds a bit cryptic. It's not meant to be. What I, what I mean by that is if I, if I stake my own personal happiness on what other people think of me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be very unhappy for a very long time. Mm. So, you know, I, I don't need other people to validate me, and nor do, you, nor do you, and nor do, actually, nor do your members of staff either. So if a member of staff cha- challenges me, then they're, what they're probably doing is challenging a decision that I've made or um, a situation within the home. They're not challenging me as a person. So again, like I said earlier, we take a step back and we say, okay, this is the situation. So let's, let's, let's keep to these facts and let's look, at, let's look at the fact of the matter rather than the emotion of the matter. Mm. So you can say to me, you're the worst manager in, in the world. Well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but that's only your opinion. But there's a reason that you called me that, and it may be the fact that I've cancelled to leave. It may be the fact that I've um, I, I wouldn't let something happen. But I, I as, as as a manager, we have to make difficult decisions, and if we if we shy away from those decisions because we're worried about what people think of us, then we're not going to be very effective managers. Mm. I'm just thinking you 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 said that you'd um, worked in a, a role to support um, organizations that needed improvement and I'm just wondering how you've applied that in your management of staff where it requires improvement because they're going to be quite defensive and perhaps worried in that situation well, can you give an example of, of an approach you took that was successful in that situation yeah, absolutely so uh, for me, I think, I think turnarounds are actually fairly simple. You know, the actual process is not difficult. And especially the staff, because staff on the whole want to be led. You know, no organisation has ever been managed out of a situation. They've always been led out of a situation. Mm. So you have to be that leader. Now, sometimes, especially in, in, in the early days, you're going you're gonna to have to show leadership in a way that they, they won't like. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what? Why do you think staff act badly? I suppose is the right. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but why do you? Why do you think it makes sense for them to do to to challenge uh, a manager in that way? Well, there'll be there'll be a variety of reasons, but I think you put the hit the nail on the head very um, very succinctly. Just answering asking that question, that is, it made sense to them. It made sense to challenge that, that manager. So the manager has to think, why does it make sense for them to challenge me? What am I doing wrong that, is accept- that I, I make it acceptable for staff to challenge me? Now, this is a very difficult conversation for a manager to have with themselves and actually for a manager to hear. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you go into a care home that's failed, very often the manager is the one that's, um, struggling the most at, at, at the top. And there could be a variety of reasons behind that. I'm not saying it's all the manager's fault, but there could be a variety of reasons be, be behind that. So normally you, you only have to look at the manager to get a feel for the care home. Because what I've seen 
is that the two invariably follow each other. Mm. Mm. You know, if you, if you see a care home that's, um, they've got no sense of direction, that is very haphazard and chaotic, if you go into the manager's office, you'll probably find something similar. Mm. Yeah. And you talk a little bit about, and you, you sort of touched on it a little bit, but you, in the book as well, you talked a little bit about being liked versus being respected. So what do you mean by that? Well, it's making the right decisions against making the easy decisions. Mm. So if we think that, you know, our happiness is given to us by other people, so, my, you know, my staff need to like me and respect me for me to be happy. And, you know, we, we, we can think that even unconsciously. Well, that's never, ever true. But if we think that, then we're going to make decisions that are going to make us popular rather than what's going to, what, what is right. Mm. So that's what I mean by being liked by being respected. But I just want to touch on the other, the, you know, the point we just made about um, a manager in a care home who's perhaps struggling. What tends to happen, and I've done this myself, so I'm the first one to stand up and say, this is true, because I know that I do it. But when a care home starts to struggle, we fall back on what we know. We fall back on what's um, where we feel safe. So just when a ship needs its captain the most is the time when the captain probably spends more time in his cabin than he should do. Because mm-hmm. the captain needs to be out on the floor reassuring, talking. And very often the captain's in the, in the, in the cabin struggling with a 10-point action plan that someone's given them or, you know, another meaningless report or something like that. So I'm not blaming managers, but I'm saying we, we will pick, sometimes we can pick things that are what's easy rather than, you know, that those decisions we make then are we making the easy, easy decisions to deal with these things that are going to keep us out of the firing line rather than the right decisions, which is to get out there and confront staff and talk and reassure to relatives and, and residents. Yeah, so being sort of out. This is one 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 point in your in your in your book where I was kind of just nodding, thinking I know exactly what you mean because I did a little bit of going in um, to services that had uh, that needed improvement, and it was about signs in care homes. Oh yeah, my pet hate. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so you can tell an awful lot about a care home, can't you? When you go in and you're just looking around the signs. Now, if I go into a care home and there is a sign on the door saying, this door must be kept shut, that's the first one to come down. <laughs> you know, well, why would you put a sign on the door to say this door must be kept shut? You know, either staff know it needs to be kept shut or they don't. And if they don't, tell them it needs to be kept shut. It's, it's sloppy management, but it's when, you know, I can understand it sometimes because it's, it's the easy option. Rather than challenge those staff, who are perhaps the more difficult ones, who are the ones that are constantly leaving it open, we have to get them to understand why it's important for that door to be kept shut. Or any, any sign that's signed the management, <laughs> you know, or even worse, management. Yeah. You know, in a, it's just, it sends out all of the wrong messages. I was in a home, I'm not going to say where it was or even when it was, but I was in a home and it had, uh, a sign in the visitor's toilet saying, you must keep this toilet clean, signed the manager. <laughs> I thought, what, what message is that sending out to a visitor? Yeah. Well, look, the message it's sending out is actually, 
I'm around so little. I've got so little grasp on what's going on in this home that I have to manage three posters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, as well about signs, is that they don't get seen, do they? You know what? What, what is it? You can't have it both ways. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, signs in general just wipe me up a bit. So the other really interesting thing I found in the book was you talked about managing your manager. So tell me a bit more about that. Oh yeah, I remember when. When my when I first sort of got promoted in the prison service, and my governor came up to me, and I was managing a, a unit of young offenders, and he came up to me and he said, um, "Best bit of advice I can get I can give you is learn how to manage your manager." And then he walked off, and I thought, "What the hell does he mean by by that?" But I actually got it quite quickly. What it means is, what's important to them, you know. So if you if you can find out what's important to them and hit those things, hit their priorities, you're going to keep the wall from the door for quite quite a long time. But also those managers, they have their own problems. They have their own stresses um, and their own stories as well. So you can either be part of their problem or you can be part of their solution. Now, I've been both of those things. Um, so... Man learning how to manage your manager is finding out what's important to them because that's going to have to be important to you. So if, if an area manager, let's say an area manager has an occupancy uh, target of 500 in their area and you're running at 50% occupancy, you're going to know that every time he comes in, he's going to be talking about occupancy mm. or she's going to be talking about occupancy. So what you do is even if you don't, even if you, you're not actively increasing that occupancy. As soon as they walk in, right, this is what we're doing about occupancy. Mm. So they know that you're on it. They know that you are aware of what's important to them and you are hitting those, you're trying to hit those targets for them and you celebrate those successes with them. It's great advice because I think an awful lot of people just spend all the time moaning about their managers rather than yeah. thinking how can they manage them yeah. in the way you yeah. described. It's great yeah. advice. Yeah, completely makes sense. So... How do you think coaching is useful for managers in social care? Ah, well, great question. Um, coaching is, I think coaching is really important. I have my own coach and um, the people that I've coached, I think have found real value in it. But do you remember what I said earlier? How do you, where do you get your best ideas? Where do you get those insights from? They're always there. They're always ready to come out. But they don't come out at a time when you're busy and overthinking. They come out at a time when you're quiet and um, in a place where you're going to allow that through. And that's what a, well, there's various different types of coaching. But in, as a coach, this is what I do. I create the environment where we connect really deeply. We have a really strong conversation. And during that time, it's not about what they hear. It's about how they feel. And they start to feel differently. And then they start to get all the ideas. Now, the ideas aren't coming from me. I've just created the environment for that flower to bloom. Mm. But the thing is that that flower, they've always got the ability to let that flower bloom. I'm just helping them do it. Mm. But it's always there. It's always in them. But you're, you, can't, you can't help that flower you can't have that flower bloom if the environment's not right. If you're so busy shaking, shaking the snow globe, watching the windscreen wipers, you know, then it's very difficult. 
for the, for that for your own advice to be heard, your own insight, your own wisdom to be heard, and you've got it within you. So, do you think coaching is something that um, organisations should think about for all their staff, or just for managers? Well, um, the last home that I managed, I used to have a coach come in every week, um, and he would spend a couple of hours in as a drop-in session. Now, the staff. After they got over, over their initial scepticism, this coach come from the same sort of coaching perspective that I did. So, you know, it wasn't a case of I'm going to show you what to, what to do and what to say. I'm just going to create an environment for you to find the answers for yourself. And they really valued that. Now, if you imagine that a manager at the moment is really struggling in the home, I can, a company can either send in someone to leave them a 10-point action plan and say, right, work through that because this home needs to improve. Or they can send in somebody like me who will make them realise that they've got the answers themselves. Mm. And if, if it's like putting that, that, that sign up on the door. You know, if you know what to do intrinsically, you don't need to put the sign up. Mm. So you don't need the action plan because you know what you're going to do. So coaching a home manager, especially now, is I think it's absolutely vital. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So if you imagine that a home starts to wobble, this is, this is what traditionally will happen. A home starts to wobble, the company will send in um, some, some quality managers, um, some performance managers, you know, a regional support manager. They all leave action plans on top of the action plan that they're probably already <laughs> running give them more work to do. And then the manager starts to wobble even more, overthinking more, starts to panic. The staff pick up on this and they start to panic and wobble. Then the manager thinks, right, I've got to leave. So then now you've got a, man- now you've got a home without a manager. It's going to cost you 10, 15,000 pounds to get a manager recruited and in that, in that place. And for a fraction of that, I've got a pretty good chance of keeping that manager in situ and actually taking them through that and out the end, out the other end as a much better yeah. manager, as someone who's much better able to not just deal with the workplace pressures, but not take it home either. And it Im- improves their home life, it improves their relationships with their loved ones, because that's what happens, isn't it? We take it home and mm. relationships break down. Yeah. You know, all of that can be stopped. Now, I'm not yeah. saying that every single person that I coach, that's going to happen, but... It's got to be worth a go. Yeah, and I think it's not not. Um, it's just interesting. We had another podcast guest in the previous episode. We talked about coaching and talked about how it's perhaps not something that's in social care is that um, I don't know. I'll pop this with the wrong word, but it hasn't been something that's been sort of kind of part of, particularly for in in a registered manager, um, you know, management le- level. And and by the sounds of it, what you are suggesting is that it's it's something that should be part of that planning for organization thinking about you know if by providing coaching you are supporting individuals to try and resolve some of the issues that they're having mm. and actually that's a, a a better way than the traditional way of kind of creating action plan after action plan and, and trying to find uh, just, just kind, of, kind of adding work and stress to that person's lives 
That's great. I'm going to move us on to something a little bit different. Um, in our podcast uh, series, we always have our time for care slot, which is uh, an opportunity for guests to share their best time-saving tip. So uh, what's your time-saving tip for others? Well, my time-saving tip is not, it's sort of a tip, but it's much more fundamental than that. And as we think of time, as a constant you know there are 60 seconds in a minute 60 minutes in an hour but time is a you know we made time up it's a human made concept so we've decided what time is but time also has variables so when you're going on holiday you know the week or the two weeks beforehand it's time is really dragging and yeah. it's, you know, oh, i can't wait to go it's time's really <laughs> slow and then the two hours before you're about to go, you're rushing around trying to get everything done and time <laughs> seems to speed up. So sometimes time is slow and sometimes time is fast. And the, the thing about that is it's all to do with what's going on in your head at that time. You know, that when we get busy in our heads, time speeds up. And when we slow down in our heads, time slows down. Yeah. Just try it. And you know, you can you can use that holiday in um, that holiday mm. analogy as an example because you know that's what happens. Yeah, you know those last two hours you're rushing around thinking oh, I've got to get everyone's done. Why is it? Why is time sped up then? And yet, don't think we, we we've never had a guest before who's actually the tip is to slow down time, but that's a, <laughs> a really helpful tip. <laughs> yeah, well, time time is a human made concept. Yeah. yeah, no, it's great. Thank, thanks for that. Um, so we're going to ask you a final question. So imagine that uh, we're in the lift of a 10th floor building going down. So you've got limited time to give your message for those in the lift about what's most important. So what would be your key message to leave your fellow travellers in the lift with by the time you get to the, the ground floor? What would you yeah. say? So as you're going down, you stop at floor nine. And I would turn around to my fellow travellers and say, there is only now. And then the doors will shut and you'll go down to floor eight and the doors will open. And I'll turn around to my fellow travellers and I'll say, there is only now. And I'll do that all the way down. And when you get down, down to room, to floor one, I'll turn around to them and say, that time you spent on floor two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or ten, that doesn't exist anymore. So we've only got this moment right now. Nothing else exists. There is only now. So you don't need to worry about what happened at floor nine or floor eight because it doesn't exist anymore. That's what I would say to my fellow travellers. There is only now. <laughs> Thank I you. I think there might be a bit kind of, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's a well, powerful we, message. If you think about it, it's a really powerful yeah. message. Yeah. Well, when you ask me that question, that doesn't exist anymore. That yeah. time doesn't exist anymore. There's yeah. just now. So really a message here about focusing in the here and now on the present. Yeah. And, yeah. Focus on the present, but it's not just about that. It's about the fact that you can, you can pick up the past and worry about it and get all angsty about it. And if you want to, it's not going to serve any purpose other than take away your current happiness mm. because there is only now. Yeah. And the same with the future. You can spend lots same of time worry, worrying about something that's going to happen and actually... Your fe your feelings don't have the ability to to um to time travel. Mm -hmm. They're only ever telling you what you're thinking right now. Yeah. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. Good, good as me. That's not the answer I expected you to say. So, so thank you very much for that. I'm still on the slowed down time as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people do say that I'm not, I'm not a conventional interview. No, that's, that's great. Thank you so much for your time today. Really, really helpful. And, and I'm sure that you, you've given uh, managers listening to this podcast some great tips about how to deal, to, how to deal with their role. Um, how to slow down time. Yeah, how to, and how to slow down time. So thank you for your time today. Take care. Bye. Thank you. Bye. So, Annie, that was a really interesting <laughs> chat with Martin. Uh, lots yeah. of things to think about. Uh, and I think uh, having read his book and now talking to him, are, are really interesting to hear him explaining some of the ways that he, his own experience in terms of being a, a manager in, in social care, but also how he, he talks to the people who he coaches. Really mm. interesting. Mm, yes, it was. What really sort of stood out for you? I think for me, I'm, I'm still thinking about the slowing down time. I, that, that's really resonated with me. And I think that that issue about how managers can um, can really deal with stress by avoiding those thoughts, just overwhelming them and, and the, uh, the ways of doing that. Uh, I think you know it does relate to well-being doesn't it and looking after yourself and we've talked a lot about the need for managers to do that and uh, and I know we've produced our workforce well-being resource finder so that people can be signposted to the various things but there's a lot there about that being able to really take yourself out of that that snow globe I like that analogy of not sort of you know allowing yourself allow the snow to settle and not not just get tied up with all your thoughts and and some of the methods to do that were really helpful yeah well, I agree uh, you know and I I know when I read the book and I you know the snow globe I just straight away thought yeah, I know exactly what you mean um you know we all do it and I'm sure if you're a manager in social care and you're having so many things going on in your head all that snow is whirling mm. around yeah and just taking that time and 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 to kind of let that snow settle and then try and make some decisions and mm. and make some you know think about what how you're going to deal with some of the issues that you have around you so you know, I agree. Those that well-being resource finder would be really helpful because that's other ways of of, of kind of finding ways of, of settling, of of taking that taking some time out to look after yourself. Mm-hmm. I think for me, um, and I suppose it's because uh, it, it was one of the things that really sort of jumped out to me when I when I was reading the book was about how this this way of managing staff, mm. um, and and he was talking lots about you know having you know a very particular style around and I suppose that's coming from the prison service a very particular style of managing staff listening to them and uh you know he was talking talking about ask them tell them make them you know listening to them really but then explain what needs to be done and then if they're really not doing those things then you have to take the next step mm. um the uh the skills for care people performance toolkit uh is a really helpful and i know i looked at it a lot when i first, when i was a manager uh really found it helpful to be able to sort of kind of it shows in steps what you need to do when people are not performing the way you want them to, to do um, yeah it's got some good examples in it hasn't it that you can great, yeah. great example and i think if you are that if you're a new manager or if you're a manager who are struggling with that aspect of it and then we know some managers really struggle with that aspect it's a good kind of guide just saying 
think about the steps that you need to take in order to be able to make some changes if, if that's what you need to do, some sort of more formal changes if that's what you need to do. If the other things that Martin talked about hasn't worked, then you are having to make them as he put, as he put it. So I think that was really interesting. Yes, it was. It was, and it was, it was a difference, a, a difference to some of the other guests we've had, wasn't it? It, it was yeah. a different approach that he's got, but very thought provoking. Absolutely. So we hope you really enjoyed our conversation with Martin. It's made you think. Um, thank you very much for your time today. Bye. Bye. Bye.